Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Afternoon, this is Dr. Nyaka Nilamti. Uh, I'm VP of Wellness and Clinical Services with the National Football League. And today on Behind the Mask, I um, talked a little bit about mental health, the resources available to, to players, um, and making sure that you are getting the most out of your mental health that you possibly can. Make sure you tune in. Let's go behind the mask. Welcome back to another episode of the Behind the Mask podcast. I am your host, Takeo Spikes, joined alongside virtually by my partner, Two, where you at, boy? What's going on? It's your favorite plus size model, Tuton Ray is in the building. Spikes, how you doing, my guy? Plus size model, I just see you rocking a t-shirt hey, today. Little, little What's BTM, up with that? You know, I'm feeling real BTM-ish, you know, behind the mask, so definitely had to represent. Well, we're going to go Indeed. behind the mask since it's the month of May, okay? And it is Mental Health Awareness Month. And without further ado, we had to call up the subject matter expert. And I got to give it up, man. She, she's been wonderful, not only to myself, but to a lot of other guys in the National Football League. So I want all of you guys to give it up for Dr. Inyaka Nilamti. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, you, you, you deserve it. You Indeed. earned it. Well, I am excited to join you guys this afternoon. Um, this is a it's a great conversation, and I, I think it's timely. Um, you know, I, I think uh, I have loved being able to be a resource um, to you and and to everyone in this space. So, really looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, and I I don't I don't know of anybody else that's better who can not only speak about it but be also also able to guide and direct people in the right direction with your title, the Vice President of Wellness and Clinical Service. And like we said, it's already the month of May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And the league itself launched the Mental Health and Wellness Series with current players just speaking on the importance of mental health. Um, I got to ask you, when you guys came up with this concept, what was the goal of the Mental Health and Wellness Series? You know, it's it's there's a long backstory. Uh, I I will say, um, basically, what we did was we knew that there are a number of players who are really passionate about this topic, right? They support mental health organizations for the My Cause, My Cleats. Um, they've been very verbal, very vocal in the space. And what we wanted to do was really give them an opportunity to use their platform to further their passion in this space. And so, what the request was really, you know. To, to encourage them to talk about how they take care of their mental wellness in whatever way that looks for them. And, you know, as, as you've seen with some of the videos, some powerful, powerful um, videos that have come out of it. And I think, you know, when we think about the impact that that has on, you know, sort of the awareness of, of men, young men and, and America, as we talk about how do we prioritize um, taking care of, of our mental health, as much time as we put into our physical wellness, um, let's make sure that we're balancing that with with make, with being intentional and taking care of our mental wellness. And, and again, whatever way that looks like. So that was really the, the, the impetus behind it was giving them an opportunity to to really, um, you know, use their platform to further a message that they they felt passionately about. And mental health wasn't something that was necessarily addressed when Takiyo and I played, but uh, I found 
Interesting. The league also released a statement saying the NFL family is committed to prioritizing, as you said, and destigmatizing mental health. So what are some of those stigmas and why was that a priority for the league? You know, it's it's so let me unpack that a little bit. Right. So so one of the things I when I had this conversation, I like to remind people is that we all have mental health. Right. Everybody. Right. Everybody, Everybody. Right. So just like we all have physical health, we all have mental health. I think what has happened is historically mental the term mental health has been used synonymously with the term mental illness right and so i think that there there tends to be sort of this this using that those terms interchangeably and what we need to remind people is that is uh, mental health exists on a continuum and mental illness is one end of that spectrum so so part of what the the goal is is to really do some education um, around making sure that we understand, again, just like we prioritize our physical health, we need to be equally prioritizing our mental health. We all have mental health. The question becomes, how do we make sure that we're intentionally building positive mental health, right? So that's really the, 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 the quest. Um, and, and I think when we think about mental illness, there are lots of stigmas that, that are you know, associated with that, whether it's you know, cultural stigmas, right? So when we think about African-American families, um, you know, I, I was that person who, you know, that my family was like, do black people go to therapy? So why would you choose to go into that that role, into that space? So so I think that there's some cultural stigmas around mental health, whether, you know, we think, you know, in, in, in certain cultures, you know, it, it equals being crazy. I think that there is certainly in, in hyper-masculine or high-performance sports worlds, there is this idea that if we talk about our mental health, that, that somehow is a weakness. Right. Um, and so I, I think that there are lots of things that contribute to some of that stigma. Um, and then, you know, you, you take the, the high pressure, high intensity world of the National Football League. And, you know, there is this idea that um, any, you know, this this idea that anything that might take away from my performance on the field might cost me. Right. And so so there's all of those things, I think, that contribute to furthering that stigma. And so I, I think, you know, the goal in this role and with some of these conversations, again, is to normalize this, to sort of to remind everyone that we all have mental health. We, you know, if, and if we can be intentional and in making sure that we are doing the things that we need to do to, to, to enhance it, then what that actually can do is it can decrease some of the numbers that we see in terms of mental illness. Um, and not to and not to stigmatize mental illness either, um, but make sure that people are using the supports and getting the the help and the, using the resources that they need. Yeah, and I, I I think you hit the nail on the head when you talked about. Um, I think it's one of the biggest misconceptions when it comes to men. Start off as little boys. Uh, we are taught to be tough. We are taught not to cry. Brush it off. Keep going. Oh, you will be all right. And, you know, and I think the first person who I heard say that was Brandon Marshall, maybe five, six years ago. And, and, and ultimately, when I look at it, I don't know if it's a culture thing or whatever, but it's something that's been ingrained in, up, ingrained in us as little boys. And now it continues to stick with us as men. And especially as we turn into athletes, professional athletes, we want to be known as tough. Now you're seeing guys. I think of Hayden Hurst, Solomon Thomas, Dak Prescott, all of these guys coming out now not afraid to talk about how important 
mental health is and how you just can't ignore it and keep on going about business like it's as usual. What do you think is important for athletes in society in this matter to really understand, to really change that misconception? You know, I, I think I think what you what you're doing by having this conversation is a part of that, right? Um, I, I I think you know historically this has been when we think about mental health and or mental illness, those are the conversations that we have in hushed tones, right? You know, we whisper those conversations, but I think being able to bring them out in the open and really talk about that, I think that that helps. Um, so that that's a culture change. Um, I, I think you know when I was in private practice, I used to say. You know, I worked a lot with men and by the time they found themselves in my office, it was usually a crisis. Right. It was usually something that had reached the point where, you know, you don't have any choice right now but to, to come in here. And and there's this, you know, and the realization that if you come in six months earlier, right, we could have been maybe, you know, we could have taken a preventative or more proactive approach. Um, and, and what we see is men as a rule have been historic, again, historically, and, and this is a wide generalization, have been encouraged to display, when we think about emotions, they, they've been encouraged to display, you know, either happiness, joy, or, or anger, right? Those are the two emotions that are acceptable for men. Um, and then, and then if we think about black men, there's even sort of more of that socialization. And, and so it, I think it's important to remind us that one, emotions are there for a reason. And. And there are a lot of emotions that exist on that continuum between happy and angry. And so how do we embrace that? Um, and, and I think part of what we're also having to do is is really, especially with young boys now, actually give them the language to be able to articulate, to be able to ex express how they feel. Right. Because I work with adults who can't articulate, who can't sort of sit and say, let me check in with what I'm feeling um, and let me let me explain that or verbalize that. Right. I've got a, a, a you know, I used to pull it out when I was in private practice, a, one of those pieces of paper that has you know the, the little faces and it has the description of the emotion under each of them and probably a hundred of them. So, you know, pick one. I need you to pick one. Um, so so it's 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 how do we make sure that we are are teaching uh, the language that that young boys can use um, to identify and to express their emotions. Um, and then you'll see, I think you'll see a culture change again as they get older and they have that skill set. One of the things that I, I learned coming into the league, um, particularly with athletes, black athletes as well, few things we don't do, right? We don't want to go to court. We don't want to go to jail. We don't want to go to therapy. We just, it's just things that we don't want to do, right? And with mental health being a topic largely considered taboo, how do you get the players to utilize some of the resources that the league has readily available? That's a great question. You know, I think part of the, the, uh, part of the, the responsibility is on mental health professionals, right? We really have to do a better job of demystifying and educating people about what therapy looks like, right? So, so I, you know, I, I'd like to say, I've I got a couch in my office, but you don't have to lay on it, right? Um, and so I, I think that there is this, this, there's a lack of understanding of what does it mean to be in therapy? You know, being able to, I actually had a conversation with a, a player who asked the very same question. I said, you know, therapy is the conversation that we're having right now. 
Right. And so it's not, you know, it's not me sort of trying to peer into your brain and, you know, overanalyze things. It's really engaging in a, in a dialogue and with someone who is objective, someone who doesn't have, you know, is, is neutral and can, can sort of take a, that objective perspective and give you back what you just said to them. Right. And, and help you sort through some of those things. So I, I do think part of it is 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 helping to demystify um, and educate people about what that what it what does it look like to use the resources? I think that there is a fear of the unknown. And so if I have never sat on a couch across from someone or, you know, had a conversation and exposed myself, you know, some of the things that I, I don't want to share or don't want to say out loud, that's terrifying. And so that's I think that that's a large part of it, at least on our end, is is making sure that this feels, you know, attainable and feels safe for people to dip a toe in. Um, and so that's that's part of the goal of, of you know, you know, what one of the things that we've done is over the last couple of years really made sure that the team clinicians are integrated at the clubs. And part of that is making sure that they're around a lot more so that they aren't there just for a crisis. Right. You've already built it. You've already established a relationship with them. You've had conversations with them. Um, and so it doesn't feel terrifying to sort of say, hey, I'm struggling a little bit or, hey, I want to be proactive. Um, let me sit. Let me let me make an appointment. Um, so I think that, that that's a part of it. Right. Education, demystifying. Um, I, I think part of it is also promoting. Um, and so there, you know, I, I often have conversations with players who aren't even aware of some of the resources that that they have available to them. Um, and so I think that's part of it. Again, making sure that there's some education around there, around that. And then I think making sure that the resources that are available are easy to access. Um, if you, I, I was a psychologist in private practice, the idea of trying to figure out how to, to, to get reimbursement for insurance and all, it, it, it's, it can be overwhelming or cumbersome. And so. Oh, it's very overwhelming. Like very, I'm telling you, cause listen, huh? when it, like if it's already entitled, like why do we have to file for reimbursement? And and like, and I know it's something simple that we can possibly do, but it becomes very overwhelming. And you talked about it being therapeutic just to talk about it. I go back to when I first did my radio show playing in Cincinnati and I agreed to do a radio show every week. Now, one thing that I didn't know, I didn't take into account was like, hey, you hope that you win so you can be happy talking about it. Um, long story short, every game, we lost a <laughs> lot of games there, but I had to go talk about it. And I'm, I used to be like, like hurting in the inside. But after I spoke on it, I realized that was very therapeutic for me. And so now when I look at it, that was a resource for me. The yeah. radio show ended up being that. What are some of the maybe top resources that you can lay out for some of the guys, some of the legends, even current players that they can have access to? So, you know, so th there's two things I'm going to address with that. I think one is, is what are the resources that you have that everybody has access to? Right. So. I like to say, build up your stress management or your mental, your self-care toolbox. So that's things like, you know, who who are the, the people that I can talk to who are, you know, who I feel better every time I walk away from talking to them. We all got one or two of those folks, right? Where we, there is something about the conversation and the engagement. We walk away and we feel like 10 pounds lighter. 
Um, then there's some of those folks who we walk away and we feel 10 pounds heavier. And so, yes, <laughs> so when I'm not having a great moment, how do I avoid those folks? Right. So I think that there's there's something that we can do to build up that stress management toolbox that that doesn't require an outside help, right? When you talk about the radio show, being able to even change your mindset to, to allow yourself to understand that speaking that out was therapeutic in some way. That's, you know, then then once you realize that you can be intentional about it, um, you know, fishing, exercise, you know, the things that you know, sort of th there is, even if it, it might be a challenge to get started, you always feel better after. Those are things that you should put into that toolbox. And so when when, you know, and, and remind yourself on a you know weekly basis, hey, I need to take a, a couple of those things out of that toolbox and integrate that into my day to day. So that's one of the things I think that we all have the capacity to do. Um, I think in terms of resources for players. You know, this group has has some of the best resources and the benefits you know that are available to anyone so whether it's it's on the trust side the pa side whether it's from 345 um and and i think you know part of what i like to say is i don't care where you get your resources from i just want to make sure that they're quality resources and that you're using them so you know so whether it's the trust where you know you've got two credited seasons and you and everybody has you know you have access to that and they have a whole host of resources whether it's doing the brain and body assessment head to toe checkup so that you really understand what's going on physically and mentally um mental health supplemental benefits where you know they will pay for in in inpatient treatment um and you know ongoing therapy so you know, you've got that benefit Every active player, uh, you know, again, two, in, in 2019, we passed a, a, a CBA mandate that requires all teams to have a team clinician on site. And so there, you know, it varies across the clubs. Some of their, you know, eight to 12 hours a week, some are more. I think we've got six clubs now that have full time clinicians on staff. So even if players don't necessarily feel comfortable with talking to the clinician on staff, the clinician is still a resource to provide them referrals in the community. Right. So you've got access to that. Um, and then, you know, in terms of the Cigna benefits, so whether you are a, you know, whether you are a, a continuing vet, whether you are a, a, a legend, and, you know, whether you sat in a training camp, everyone has access to the work-life resources, the EAP through Cigna. So it's eight sessions per topic. So I like, and, and that's not just for you, that's for you and everybody who is in your household. So I like to say what you can do is you can say, OK, I got eight sessions. I'm going to I found a great therapist who takes the EAP. Um, I'm going to talk. I'm going to come in for eight sessions. I'm going to talk about, you know, family stuff. And then, you know what? I'm going to come in and use eight more sessions and talk about um, adjustment difficulties. So you could essentially use that resource. I mean, again, it's per issue, per topic. So you get eight sessions. So, so players actually have access to that again. From anyone from from sitting in a training camp to to our 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 legends who you know have gold jackets, um, and then you know there are uh, the other resources that are not necessarily specific to mental health, but can also you know when we think about building positive mental health. So whether that's doing some of the education boot camps or some of the the, the other services or resources that are available, I think all of those things together collectively can help us build you know build that positive mental health that we're looking for. And we're still in the midst of a pandemic. Um, how how has COVID nineteen affected the league's stance on uh, mental health, and has it made it a tougher situation for you guys to deal with internally? So here's what I I will say: the 
interesting thing about the pandemic is I think in some ways it has actually helped to normalize and destigmatize um, getting using mental health resources, right? Because what it's done is is I, I say those of us who even the the men, the strongest mentally has been taxed over this last sixteen months, right? And so. So what I think it's really done is it's it's sort of made even the playing field in some ways. Um, and said this is an area we all have to work on. So what it's done for the clinicians at the clubs is it's while they're extremely busy, in some ways it's also increased their value, right? Because it's allowed them to to be much more integrated. Um, and when we think about mental health, this is what again one of those areas that I think, you know since we all have mental health, this is something that can be integrated into almost everything that we do. So one of the things that it has done is it has, it has taxed, I think, mental health providers. So you see a lot more mental health providers who are overwhelmed or extremely full um, or very busy. But I, but I think what it, what it's also done is it's, it has helped us to further um, that conversation about the need to prioritize this. But it's a great question. You're talking about it levels the playing field and and it goes across the board simply because everybody is affected, not just athletes, but everybody in society. What are some of the parallels that you've seen between athletes and society in general? You, you know, I, I think sport is a microcosm of society, right? So what happens out there, you're gonna get, I mean, we can't shed all of who we are and, and all the societal implications when we when we walk into the club or the facility. And so, you know, sports, what you see in sports is really just a reflection of what you see in larger society. I think in some ways, um, because it's a community, because you have some of the internal supports, um, you know, in some ways you see sports as being a little bit more protective. So I think that there's a little bit more, there are a little bit more outlets for that population. But I, I think, you know, conversely, there are some inherent stressors that you'll see with this population that you won't see with others, right? Um, that idea of, of, you know, being exposed publicly, right? So anything that you do as a player really becomes amplified. Um, and so there are things that 22 and 23 year olds in larger society can do and get away with. Um, that that players can't, right? Um, I think also about social media. You know, over the you know, what, one of the things that we've had to address is is you know how do you support players who, you know, when something doesn't go well in a game, you know, they they're vilified through social media, um, and so there yeah. is there's an additional amount of pressure there that that they're expected to 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 kind of manage, um, and then you think about some of the you know over this last year. Some players decided to to live separately from their families because they knew that they were going to the clubs and didn't. And we think about the pandemic, and so there's this isolation that happens. Um, and so you know, and then you don't have the the locker room support because everyone has to be socially distant. So I think I think that there are you know while we all have challenges that we all have to navigate, and so you know they're going to have players have to navigate everything that that larger society has to navigate. Um, but then there are some additional, I think there's some other challenges that are unique to that population. And then, you know, I, I like to say there's also this, some of the, the the stress that's inherent in, you know, even if you play well, you've had a great year, sometimes you still don't have a job the next year, right? So so this is one of those spaces where there is not a lot of security. 
Um, and so while I think the public tends to look at it from a dollars and cents standpoint, so while, you know, players certainly, when we think about their age brackets, uh, make much more money, um, I think that there's some other things that that larger society doesn't necessarily always think about with that population. I think uh, one of the things that just struck a chord was when you said you don't have a job next year. And that's, for me, that was one of the, the, the most trying things, like, wait a minute, this thing I've been doing for the past 20 years of my life is actually over. You know, I played in the league 10 years, then you have another 10 years with college, high school, Pop Warner. It's over, right? And and we're talking about the players now, but does uh, are there differences in between the way mental health affects men and women and, you know, and the players and their families? So I, I think, you know, I can I can I could give you the stats. Um, but what I'd say about stats is that stats also reflect who comes in for resources, who's filling out surveys. Um, and so sometimes it's hard to really understand what the stats mean. Um, what I will say is that, you know, certainly we see men as much less likely to use mental health resources. Right. So. So while they may struggle with, you know, same rates in terms of depression and anxiety, some of those things, you'll see them much less likely to actually use the resources where we see significant differences in terms of. So, so I think I think that there the challenges are going to be different where we see a lot of difference in terms of the, the data is men are going to be much more likely to report with substance use. Mm than depression or anxiety, right? And But how much of that is a masking or the sort of the self-medication piece, right? Um, so so while I think that they, it may present differently, what we know is we, we all have, you know, we all struggle sort of in this, we all have bad days, we all struggle. Um, and I do think that there is, there's a lot of, there's a lot of value in being able to, to share that with somebody. Um, who can you can kind of help you conceptualize it and help you think about it a little bit differently. Doc, how can we be more aware of signs that a person may need help? Because, you know, oftentimes everybody is going through something, whether or not if it's at work, whether or not if it is in your local family life. But how can we raise the antennas up and be aware, say, you know what? I think this person may need a little bit more help. It's, it's a great question. Um, so first, I like to say everybody could benefit from being on somebody's couch. All of us. Um, so, I, so I typically start there, right? Laying down and sitting up. <laughs> Whatever feels comfortable to you. So as long as you feel safe enough to, to have some conversations and and be open and keep your mind open enough to get to figure out how to get better, because that's one of the things. Right. I, I, I um, I've got there. We, we're seeing more and more players who sort of approach mental health from the same standpoint as they approach you know, strength and conditioning or, you know, nutrition is, is hey, here's an expert in this area. I'm going to use that resource. Why would I not use the resource of someone who's going to help me sharpen my mind? Right. Even if nothing's wrong. So, so I'll start there in terms of, I, I think that, you know, there is some value in, in taking a proactive approach and saying, you know, let me just, let me sit down with somebody because things can always get better. When we think about, you know, how do we know someone is struggling? Um, there are different categories of symptoms that we look at. So physical symptoms, um, when we think about, you know, people who, you know, might be, um, you know, might, uh, I, I think, with depression, what you'll actually see is people tend to even slow down how they move and how they walk, right? There is sort of this lethargy 
that happens. Um, you know, a lot of times people will have, you know, headaches, um, muscle tension, some of those things. And so you might hear some reports of those kinds of things. Um, I, I think when, when we think about um, cognitive symptoms, you'll see difficulty concentrating. You'll see, you know, sort of people, people say that, you know, the, their minds are always racing, right? So those kinds of things. Emotional symptoms, you'll see, you know, increased irritability. Um, I think particularly when we think about young people or people who really can't articulate their feelings, you'll see sometimes you'll see more acting out behaviors, which 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 will which can serve as red flags. Um, a lot of times it, it's the recognition of symptoms is going to be based on how well you know someone. Right. Because it's going to really be a being able to notice a change in how they function, a change in their behaviors. Um, you know, certainly when, when we think about what people say, that's also an indication when you hear people talking about, you know, uh, no hope for the future, um, really sort of feeling like things are continually getting worse. And those are certainly some of the things that we might hear. Um, but but I, I think that there, you know, when we think about behaviors, people who are withdrawing, right, people who are isolating themselves intentionally. Um, so th those are some things that we might that might be red flags. Uh, you know, people who you know used to, to when they came out, they seemed like they were enjoying the conversation, they were enjoying interactions. They don't seem to be enjoying themselves as much as they used to be, taking as much pleasure in some of the things that they do. Those are all things that I think, even if they aren't severe, could be early warning signs to engage someone in a conversation and say, "Hey, here is what I've seen." Here is what I am noticing. So being very objective, being able to, to really stick with what you've observed and then opening up the conversation and saying, I'm wondering, you know, are you OK? And would you be open to the possibility of talking with somebody or meeting with somebody? And once you observe these signs, um, how would how might taking action actually benefit you and a person that you're that you're uh, observing the signs? in? You know, just, you know, when you talked about the, how it, this relief of, of sitting on the radio show of, of talking, uh, there is there's certainly this this again that idea that I walk out and all of a sudden I feel ten pounds lighter, right? Um, I, I think that there there's some value there. What it also does is it you'll see the uh, the the additional perspective. A lot of times we think that things can't be changed or things can't be fixed. Right. And, and having sharing your concerns with someone else and getting an, an outside perspective sometimes allows us to come up with solutions that we hadn't even thought about. Right. Um, I think when we think about, you know, how it could be helpful, getting therapy will save marriages, will save relationships. Right. Because, you know, you're able to get some of those conversations out. You're able to 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 get some behavior change. Um, so I, I think there there's often a a direct correlation with, you know, actually getting some some concrete assistance and things getting better. I will say that that does not necessarily mean that therapy or, or counseling is easy, right? It's work. It is definitely work. But I, I think if you've got a good clinician of someone who's really good, what they do is while it, it's work, you also feel supported and safe in the process. And you are constantly reminded that of how things will feel better once you go through that. And if you, uh, I, I'm a, I'm a talk from my personal experience. I, I went to therapy in the past, didn't like it. Not gonna lie, I literally went to two sessions and I said I'm out. I don't feel comfortable talking with someone I don't know about my personal issues, right? However, for people that are out there, players that are out there like me, 
I have no problem calling Takiyo up or calling my other friend Carlos up and saying, hey, I just need you to listen and vent for about 30, 45 minutes. Would you recommend other players that are uncomfortable with going to uh, a clinician or sitting on the couch, actually getting those things off their chest by confiding in a friend or confiding in a loved one, someone close to them? Absolutely. So, so, so there's a couple of things I'd say. One, be, be the supportive ear. Things are, when we stuff emotions and, and events, I like to say things, one of two things will happen, right? Either we will explode or we will implode. It's because it's got to come out. Right. So, so, so finding that safe space is always absolutely, I, I encourage that. Um, but there are a couple of things that, that, uh, also want to think about what we've seen is if someone struggles with clinical depression, it's not uncommon for someone who has a, a major depressive episode uh, to, to kind of come out of it on it, their own, right. After time. Right. But the problem that happens when they don't get professional assistance, they don't learn the tools, the skills, is that it increases the likelihood that it will happen again. And what we know contributes to suicide is untreated depression, right? And so when we get on that cycle, um, if we don't get the assistance, if we don't work with a professional who can really help, again, help teach us the tools and the strategies to be able to manage some of these things differently, then we're likely to continue on that hamster wheel. So that's what a, a therapist can do is they, you know, the idea is really, I like to say when I was in private practice, I said, you know, this, in some ways, my approach to private practice was probably um, the opposite of what most private practice professionals, because I'm like, my job is to get myself fired, right? Is to, 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 to help you develop the skills so that you don't have to come in and work with me every week, right? So maybe, maybe every six months or so you might need a tune up or a check in. But my job is to, to help you develop the tools and the strategies so that you can function on your own. Right. So so I, I think that that's the difference. And that's also the difference between what a friend can do. A friend can listen and maybe they can give you some some tools and some strategies based on on their experience. But in terms of being able to really have a robust set of resources, that's the that's the difference. Um, I'd say also make sure that while you're being the person that they can vent to, I think it's I think it's essential. Make sure that the, the person who you're venting to also knows where they can say, hey, this might be out of my lane. Um, so let, let's, you know, let's the two of us call the NFL lifeline and talk like I'll call with you. Right. So we can talk to somebody who's a professional. You don't even have to leave your name. That's one of the beauties of the NFL lifeline. You can call. You don't even have to leave your name. And you can talk to a trained counselor who can talk you through the process, help you think things out, help you come up with a, a strategy or approach, at least for right now. Um, the other thing I will say is that therapy is not a one size fits all. Right. And so, you know, get a second opinion. Um, I would encourage you. I tell players all the time, you should know two sessions in whether or not you feel comfortable having a conversation with this person. Right. Um, there is the discomfort of, okay, this is weird and I'm talking to somebody I don't know, but someone who is skilled can build a rapport with you very quickly. Right. And so even, you know, like I've had players who like, I'm not, I'm not going to therapy. I'm not going to, I'm not going to see, I'm not going to work with anybody. I'm like, but you've been on the phone with me for 45 minutes and we've never talked. We've never met. <laughs> <laughs> but I can't get you off the phone. So clearly, yeah. right? So, so I think it, there is, the, you know, keep in mind that that there are people out there. Um, so don't just give it one shot. 
Um, but at the same time, don't sit in and spend a year with somebody that you know doesn't feel quite right and you don't feel like you're growing. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, it makes, makes a lot of sense because- Which means you need um, to give it another try. <laughs> I, 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 so you definitely need to give it another try. That was 10, 20 years ago, man. I'm going to you an invoice too because you talked to me a couple it's a times. Great time, it's a great time for a check-in. I'm with you. I'm with you. You have my word. You have my word. <laughs> But but it is it's it's giving yourself permission to find the person that feels like a good fit. And again, it, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Right. They're going to be it's going to be challenging. But 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 it still feels like you, you, you still feel safe. And so that's why I'd say tr trust that a little bit. And if you don't feel after I'd say two, two or three sessions it's who's who's next on the list. No, we appreciate the jewels that you're dropping indeed, right indeed. now because we have a very engaging audience. And um, so don't be surprised. You may have some people yeah. hitting you up just because uh, you make it easily to be able to be digested. So we appreciate the time that you have given us. And, um, you know, maybe in a few months we'll have to check back in with you and, and put the session on camera or something. Hey, I'm anything for you. I, I I love having this conversation. I love the work, um, and you know, and 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 you guys deserve it. Like that's the other piece is you, know, you deserve to feel good. And and if this is a part of that, if addressing your mental health is a part of that, like take it. You, like you deserve it. You've earned it. So so I am very grateful for the opportunity. Listen, and we appreciate you stopping by to join us. Thank you, Dr. Nyaka. We really appreciate it. Thank you for joining us on another edition of the Behind the Mask podcast. Yes, it is Mental Health Awareness Month, and we brought on none other than NFL's VP of Wellness and Clinical Services, Dr. Nyaka Nalamsi. Very deep conversations, very thought-provoking, and it helped me out tremendously. Can't wait for you guys to check it out. But in the meantime, make sure you subscribe to the Behind the Mask podcast. Follow us on social media at the BTM podcast. Click the bell for notifications so you can see when new episodes are coming out. They drop every week. And of course, leave some comments and questions about mental health awareness, also about future guests that you want to see. Can't wait for you guys to check out this episode. Let's go. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.